Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 322. Is anyone out there? Recorded April 8th. 2018 and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach. And joining us this week, as always, are your two stalwart co hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Oxygenier Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome back, fellow Opieites. I don't know what I was about to say, but. I sort of semi recovered. That worked. Hello, everybody. How you doing? All right. Greetings. Um, the second week in uh, in April. I, you know, I just feel like it should be some kind of. There's been holidays. This this was spring break for my kids, and it's the last break before school. And they're like, uh, you know, there's no more vacations. There's no more Mondays. There's no more days off. Yeah, but you only got six weeks left. So deal with it. Um, so I just. A quick thing, every now and then people who don't know any better um, commission me to make pieces of furniture for them. And just this last week, uh, a coworker of mine commissioned me to make a table for her out of black walnut. I'm super excited to work with black walnut. It's a super expensive wood, I, 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 and it's really nice to work with. And I was at this, I happen to live uh, half a mile, maybe a mile from this great lumber yard that, uh, people come literally from, from other States to go to. And I happen to be able to just walk right, right in there and get stuff like Babinga and purple heart and zebra wood and all that sort of cool stuff. And I was going through their stock of black walnut hand picking each of the pieces I needed. It was so exciting. Um, so, you know, if you're a wood guy, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you don't have any idea why I'm blathering about walnut, but it's a great wood. So that's all I got to say about that. My uh, father-in-law was a woodturner, you know, as a hobby. Right. And he used, we used to have him fly out from Australia and stay with us for a couple of months every few years. And uh, he would take me on wild wood hunting journeys. Um, California redwood was one of his favorites. And every version of mesquite I think I've come to know and love and uh, what this guy could do with wood is amazing. So, yeah, I, I hear it's It's a fun thing. Yeah, I am little more than an aspiring woodworker, but I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, Seth, what is the things our fathers saw? Okay, well, this is me reading a nonfiction book. So uh, taking a break from, you know, zombies and shoot 'em ups and everything. So this originally grew out of this person was a history teacher and he commissioned his students kind of uh, from the New York area, kind of upstate New York to go out and interview people. Um, their relatives who had fought in World War II. This started in the 80s, and there was so much stuff come in that he kind of arranged it all and put it into a series of books. The first one is set in the Pacific Theater of Operations, and so it's kind of a first-person story, you know, paragraphs, uh, maybe a couple of pages about individual um, people interspersed with kind of the overarching narrative of how the war was going in, in the Pacific at that time. So it was just, you know, it's an, it's a nonfiction work. It caught my interest and it falls into the Kindle Unlimited uh, thing that's right at my sweet spot financially now. And uh, so... This was, and it's like going to be a, I think there's four books in it, but just a World War II kind of memoir 
history thing because, you know, as a nation, we're losing more and more World War II veterans every day. That's true. We you know, that, get that, knowledge I, that name, Matthew Rosal, rings a bell, but I cannot put my finger on it. it was he doing anything other than these books? Uh, now that I cannot tell you, um, I, and thank you for mentioning that, Matthew Rosell, R-O-Z-E-L-L, if you're interested in looking it up on Amazon or wherever you purchase books. So I I haven't researched whatever whatever else he's been involved in. All right, Miles, tell me about Samsung. Oh, well, you, if you guys remember back a while, a year or so ago, I bought a Samsung Gear S3 watch. Uh, yes. I got it here. Okay. And it's been good, except um, Samsung bricked it. Uh, back in December, they released a software update to their Tizen operating system, uh, which uh, destroyed my watch and apparently everybody else's. Um, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't boot. It wouldn't do a thing. So mine was under warranty, so I sent it back. And they sent me back a watch that did work for a while, uh, only to find that it wouldn't charge. It kept overheating. So I sent it back, and then they sent me a third watch. <laughs> and lo and behold, I get the watch, and it was better than, better than the first and better than the second, but um, it still was overheating. And I have spent a, too much time trying to research why these watches overheat, and it dawned on me, if you guys remember, back in the, um, was it the the Samsung Galaxy, yep. uh, the Note S Note 7, was it? I think the one that kept, you couldn't bring it on a plane and it kept blowing up and everything. Um, it sounds like Samsung across the board have crippled their charging software on all of their devices so that uh, if it senses anything more than a slight rise in temperature, it will shut down the device. It won't let it charge. Uh, so... The way you're getting around this for me, I uh, I put it in the fridge. <laughs> I literally charge my watch in the refrigerator, and it works just great. So, <laughs> so, so if anybody you know, if anybody has a Samsung device, and there you go, that's how you fix it. <laughs> so, do you like get one of those little USB power packs and plug it in and put those both in the fridge, or do you have <laughs> the wire going through the door? I have the wire going through the door. I get like, you know, one of those two cable extensions and I plug it through the door and into the back of the transformer to the thing and I charge there. <laughs> it, hey, it works, right? Whatever. You know, Samsung has had ongoing uh, quality control issues across a line. You remember their washing machines that were literally exploding? The baskets would be spinning and the the spindle would break and it'd fly out through the, the steel case. Um you know, they're a big company. They make lots of stuff. And over the last few years, they've just had a real hard time with quality control on these things. Yeah. Not, not a yeah. good sign. No, it's not. I mean, what are you going to do if you've already got the device? You're not right. going to be out. They won't take it back. And, you know, you don't, if it works for you, it's great. It's just a matter of the thing has to charge. And it's a part of that classic, uh, you know, and we're going way long in the segment, but that's okay. It's that classic race to the bottom that we've talked about with Americans that, that you know, we sort by price first uh, and then don't worry about you know, everything else comes subject to price. And so as they're trying to race to the bottom price-wise, you end up getting, you know, stuff that can't be made high quality because there's not a market for high quality stuff anymore. Mm. 
So if it breaks just out of warranty and forces you to buy another one, is it really a bad design or is it gorilla geniusing? <laughs> I don't know, but and I, I long for the days when, you know, you bought a watch in 1960 and the thing lasts 50 years because you paid a lot of money for a quality watch and the, you know, but when everything's digital, it's like everything's throwaway. It's kind of well. It's not away. just the digital world. I'm I'm about to buy my third set of couches in 15 years, uh, just because I have kids and they've destroyed my couches. But remember when you would buy a Lazy Boy and it would last 20 years and you throw it out because the oh, yeah. style was no good, not because the the product was mm-hmm. no good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I've got the. I mean, I'm I, one of my couches is like sitting on the ground. The 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 internal framework is broken. None of them recline properly, um, and it's they're less than eight years old um uh, and and it's just i went to the store one of these cheap uh rooms to go room store one of those places and we commented that the couch was eight years old and salesman was like oh yeah you got a good run out of that one that they're just <laughs> expecting them to fall apart in five to seven years yeah, yeah. all right so today's show is uh, about a different type of expectations. Uh, this is sort of, uh, Seth has been programming the month of April, uh, and so he wanted to talk about, um, you know, these darn whippersnappers today and their inability to have uh, communications uh, outside of the internet. Uh, and really, it's, it's what, a lot more than that. It's how does, uh, how does the changing nature of communication, the changing nature of truth, change uh, the nature of connections between individual uh he's calling it our fragile connection so seth i'll just let you take it away from there okay you know we live in a day of supposedly robust communications you know we're sending each other um emoji pizzas and cat videos all day long whereas our parents and grandparents used to write letters and they had such meaning people still have them but yet who cares about a text i received five minutes ago so i Thought about, you know, we, you know, the internet was created originally. It grew out of a, a DARPA concept of we wanted a network, a networking communication infrastructure that could survive a uh, nuclear blast, you know, and maintain redundant. And so I just thought, you know, we have this supposedly robust system of communication, but is it really that robust? It seems like the more invested in digital um, technology we get, the more fragile it becomes and the more we don't know what to do when we don't have it. Um, there's a classic South Park episode where the internet goes down and people didn't know what to do and newscasters couldn't figure out how to get news because they couldn't look up stuff online. And, and you know, all of those kind of things jumbled together and brought out this show. So I don't know how many of these topics we'll get to, but the first one that I wanted to talk about just simply because it's more sensational and kind of been in the news lately is how um, one of the ways that our communication is so fragile is that we are at the mercy of social media companies. And there is a link. um, These links will be in the show notes. Um, There was a, a study put out about how fast fake news propagates throughout the internet and i'm not talking about sites like the onion which is classic comedy and hopefully it will exist forever but 
you know, people print lies and clickbait articles and with they don't even care if it's right or wrong. They just have an agenda or they want ad revenue from all the clicks. And so there was a study that these sensational headlines that are not even true or the body of the story is false, how quickly, you know, oh, look, one tweet or one click, share to Facebook, share to Google Plus, you know, tweet or text to your friends or whatever. And there's hundreds of other sites out there like that. And you can just forward this stuff and go, oh, wow, you know, the word, the word the is in the title. I'm going to forward that. And, you know, you haven't read it, but you're going to pass it off as something coming from you. And so that's just one of the ways, um, that we are subject. And before we kind of go on, guys, do you have thoughts about how we get so inundated with fake news? It makes us just give up on it. And we don't even recognize real news when it comes around. Well, my take on this is it's the classic industrialization uh, mechanisms, be they digital or or analog, uh, take what people can do and do them faster and better. Um, And, you know, it's, it's, it's the, just been the thing that we've seen uh, throughout everything. I mean, originally, uh, Native Americans traded wampum beads until somebody invented an automatic wampum maker and flooded the market with wampum. And you know, just you could you could go a, th- a thousand different ways with that. And I think uh, you know, Mark Twain had a quote uh, that says, "The lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on." Um, and that was well before the digital age uh the the truth is that truth has always been relative and truth has always been less interesting than uh than lies or half truths or mis uh, uh characterizations and so the digital world just makes it faster and easier but i honestly don't think it's in a change at all miles what do you think well i i, I like to question perceptions on things and shake people up a little bit so i'm going to ask a question to try to answer your question why do we need the news? I don't and think I, we do. I don't, I don't think we need the news, personally. I think that the reason why we need the news is because there's a hell of a lot of FOMO going on out there, fear of missing out. People think that unless they hear the news and, and they can talk in this, in, you know, by the water cooler at work with their buddies, that they have nothing to say. And that's a problem. You know, we shouldn't be spectators of the news. We should be making the news. Our job is not to go out there and consume a 24-7 news cycle on whatever media is out there. Our job is to go out there and change the world in whatever way we can do it ourselves and be the news. So I'm not a if, – if in terms of measuring the quality of news, whether it's true, whether it's fake, whether it's, you know – um, biased, whatever the reason is, my counter to that is why do we even need the news at all? Well, you know, a part of it is the news, and of course, I'm sure this is one of those things where the romanticized ideal depiction never did fully 100% match the reality. I, I, I won't argue that point. I'll give that. But it used to be closer in that the people who reported the news were reporters. And so it's like, hey, you know, kind of almost the Joe Friday from Jagnet, just the facts, ma'am. And now they have gone from reporting the facts to arranging and crafting the facts and omitting the other facts 
to deliver a narrative that they want to get out there and regardless of how well that narrative fits the reality, but they want to maintain the mythos of I'm just reporting the story. And so, you know, there's been a divergent between reporter and journalism, but yet and so I I had a point and it was going to go somewhere. <laughs> well, you two, um, I'm going to tie together the two things that you just said. Miles said that we should be out changing the world, and Seth said that journalists used to report. Well, somewhere along the line, r- roughly uh, the the Watergate era, uh, somebody decided that they could change the world through the news, and at that moment, the journalism ceased to be a thing. It was not journaling the events; it was newsmaking and. You know, uh, Channel 11, action news. Now, there should be no action in news. News, by definition, is a passive event. So when it's the, just by the fact that there's an action news team is a problematic. It's because somebody decided to change the world by reporting uh, selective bits of the story. So you two both had the same story, uh, just on different sides of the same coin. Yeah, and... Like when you watch the local news, it'll be 10 o'clock at night and they'll have a reporter on the scene (laughs) of something that happened at six in the morning and it's black and there's no one around, but this reporter is out. You know, in the rain. They, they might they might just be outside the station. You don't know, but they're claiming, yes, I'm here. We're 17 and a half hours ago. Somebody yeah. tripped and fell, and we are waiting on the mayor to comment on how come they didn't fix the sidewalk, you know, or, or something like that. Behind this, like, this darkened building behind me is where the school board met about a controversial subject uh, early this morning, uh, but I still have to be out here doing my live stand-up. <laughs> Fun times. Right. I'm, I'm going to throw the challenge out there. Spend this week not consuming any news, at least, say, for three or four days. And at the end of three or four days, work out if you're any better off or worse off for not having done it. And I would say there's probably about an 80% chance you're better off because the time that you weren't sitting there wasting away consuming news that has no relevance to your life whatsoever is probably time could have been spent going out there and making money or doing something, spending more time with the family, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, I don't know. You'll thank me for it. Trust me. I blame CNN, and and of course, blame is, is not the right word, but uh, CNN decided to make money off of news. Prior to that, news was a lost leader. It was a thing you did uh, out of you know a sense of, of social uh, – contract to do the right thing if you were a media corporation well turner said i'm going to make money off the news and and the problem is he succeeded cnn became a huge money-making event and then other people said oh you can make money on the news and so that's that invented the world we are today and so today you have the info babe uh standing there in the lowest cut blouse she owns uh might as well be you know a a a booth babe at a at a convention uh these chicks and they're just reading the news uh and uh, reading a teleprompter uh and and adopting that uh, professionally neutral tone with graphics going all over the place. And if you want to see the perfect parody of this, go watch Anchorman 2. Um, it's a brilliant parody of what news has become. 
Uh, but you know, I want to move on because there's more than just news. Uh, there's, you know, because most people today, particularly the millennials, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, this is what studies say, uh, get their news from Facebook and from Twitter and from, um, uh, Reddit. But the issue is that those are not neutral organizations, neither is CNN, neither is Fox news. Uh, but they're, they're not only, uh, politically biased, but they're also digitally biased. They're trying to give you only the things that you're interested in. And so that's not that's not the full story. Uh, and so you're subject to not only the the whims of the owner, but also the algorithms they write. Right. And so if you want to, you know, like I don't understand how people are so afraid of guns. I mean, okay, yes, I understand it because people, you know, don't have guns as a part of their life, and you know, every time you know, something happens that involves a gun. It was bad. Guns killed 87,000 people in the history of the earth. Something stupid like that. And you're just like, man, I remember when I went to school, you could have fielded a militia with the rifles and shotguns and pistols in the parking lot of the student section in the high school. Uh, to you be know, fair, was that just, was Texas. Yeah, in this country, you know, I mean, granted, we weren't in downtown Dallas. We were in a little two-way school where I had to drive six or seven miles to get to school. And, you know, and I might want to go rabbit hunting or quail hunting or something after school before I went back home. So, you know, why wouldn't I carry my gun in my truck? And uh, it was, that's just the way it was. And so, you know, it's like after every mass shooting, I go and check and say, you know, my rifle's still there. My pistol's still there. They didn't kill anybody. So I don't know how these other guns, apart from people, kill people. But the reason I brought up guns is because YouTube recently announced that it's going to be pulling videos and it has banned some users and temporarily suspended um, videos that show firearms so you know if you have somebody who's like you know i just bought this ak-47 with a 780 you know mag clip mag and i just want to show you me ripping off a thousand dollars worth of ammunition but and dude i love to watch stuff like that it's kind of fun you know they do slow-mo and you see the arm bouncing and all that and it's uh just but now you're going to remove the fact that, hey, somebody used a gun and didn't kill people. We can't have that getting out to distort the gun debate that we want to see banned because that, you know, that goes against our social political agenda. And since you don't pay money to access Facebook and, you know, YouTube Red, you do pay a little bit now to get ad free, you are their cash cow. And so they're packaging you and all these other people and selling ads to get that. And so, you know, you are at the mercy of the companies whose products you consume. And it's always been that way. Well, and, you know, YouTube is a little extra sensitive right now because somebody just walked into their headquarters and shot up the place. Nasim Najafi Akdam, I have no idea how that's actually supposed to be pronounced, uh, uh, shot and wounded three people and killed herself. And we're not hearing a lot about this. And, you know, uh, I, I'm going to show my, um, you know, uh, liberal or, or rather conservative bias here. It just so happens that this is a, a Muslim female liberal uh, who sh- who killed people with a gun, and we don't hear about that. Um, there's been very little news coverage about this. 
uh, very little. Um, in fact, I had to I had to hunt for this news story that I'm reading right now on CNN. It wasn't blasted all over the place. Not like you know uh, you know if this if this person had been uh, a, a redneck uh, at a country music concert, we'd know her everything about her. We'd know her name, her blood type, her uh, the color of underwear she was wearing. Uh, but we don't. Uh, so that again, I'm just going back to the fact that um, you know that's not going to sell newspapers, and so we're going to tell part of the story. But understandably, YouTube is a little sensitive about gun videos right now. They have a right to be, and that's you know I have long since um, advocated owning your own stuff, putting stuff on your own servers, controlling your own stuff. Because if you put something on YouTube, if you have sunk your your uh, um, money making efforts into YouTube. And you just happen to be a guy who owns a gun shop and and does gun videos, uh, you're in danger now. Yeah, and there has been many a time where Facebook has reconfigured their algorithm. And so a lot of like there are churches and other businesses and organizations that advertise their upcoming events via Facebook. And so you're planning this outreach and then all of a sudden the algorithms change and what you thought was going to reach, you know, 17,000 people in the three counties closest to you instead reached five people halfway around the world because Facebook changed their algorithm and they didn't give you advance notice, but they were still happy to take your money for advertising that you purchased. Again, this is a thing you're not paying for the service. You are the service. Uh, and so you're at the mercy of the company. And I granted you did pay for the advertising, but you were at the mercy of the company and the changes they made. Whereas if you have, you know, stuff on your site, um, then you get to direct the content that's out there. And granted, you know, your site doesn't get the visitors that Facebook gets. And so that's why you pay money to hopefully get capture some small percentage of Facebook's traffic. But this is just another one of those things where we have this robust communication that was designed to withstand a nuclear attack. And yet we're getting lost in the shuffle because we don't agree with or we're not privy to the internal workings of the company who controls and make no mistake, they control this gateway to the wider internet. Well, that control has been around for a long time. I mean, if you, right. if you, you remember, if you have the ability to remember back 20 years before YouTube was even a thing, um, you couldn't, produce your own video content and release it to the world. I mean, you couldn't. The distribution media controlled that voice. They controlled your ability. You, you might have been lucky enough to get a cable TV show, you know, on public access or something, but that was about as far as it went. You know, your ability to produce video content stopped because of distribution. When the internet opened up distribution and sites like YouTube came out and enabled you to tube, right, then all of a sudden you can reach a global audience with whatever message you choose to, to reach. That was the promise of the internet, if I remember it back in 20, 20 years ago. It was the ultimate, everybody can become part of the story, right? We're all contributors now. Well, the problem is, and this directly relates to the incident this week, YouTube has chosen to take a nanny state position, whether it be on firearms whether it be on monetization of host content, 
whether it be on if you put too many F-bombs, you're not going to, you know, get any advertisers. Um, all these things have become a part of their ability to control the media, just like it was in 1985 when Ted Turner controlled the media or, you know, Rupert Murdoch controlled the media. It's no different. It's just now on the internet. But the the thing is, though, there is a way around it, and people don't seem it, – it's laziness that seems to have stopped people from taking advantage of this. There are other sites out there like DTube that can do YouTube and keep it in everybody's control by using blockchains. And, yeah, a lot of people say, yeah, but I can't make any money on that. Well, you probably can make a little bit, but no one's going to stop your voice. And if they say, well, yeah, but no one watches that sort of thing, you know what? Build it and they will come. You go out there and you put quality content on that form. Watch the punters come to you. You don't have to be controlled by YouTube. And in this particular case, this girl who went and killed herself and shot up the place last week, she was pissed off that YouTube were demonetizing her videos and stopping her getting exposure. And that was her whole message. And the news media, it took them ages before the news media even came forward and told the true story. They were trying to say, oh, you know, her boyfriend was there and this was a, you know, a spat with somebody. No, it wasn't. She was one of the millions of YouTube hosts out there who whine all day long about how YouTube are demonetizing it and stopping them have a voice. And I look at it and go, well, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have had a voice anyway. So you're getting something for nothing, which you should be, you know, happy about. And second, if you don't like it, go to DTube. They won't stop you. But to go out there and shoot the place up, really stupid <laughs> really stupid and that's not the only way that um that our the connectedness of our world is so fragile that things physically can go wrong uh and we've we've we we depend on the internet now in such a way that you know when i was 20 years old i could not have imagined how dependent we are on this internet i mean there are things that i simply cannot do uh banking features um, you know, my bank is only open between 6 a.m. and 6.02 a.m. or something like that. I, apparently, they, they don't believe in being open when I can actually be there. Uh, you have to take a day off to do any banking. Uh, so all of my banking would be impossible without the Internet. Um, and, and that's just a, you know, a, a frivolous thing. But this show, for example, could not happen. without the Internet. It's just not possible. There's no way I could uh, you know, record all this on cassette tapes and ship them off to uh, all the countries that uh, that people we have listeners to. So there are things that can't happen without the internet today, and we've become dependent on them. Uh, and you know, we're subject to uh, market crises, we're uh, factors. We're subject to uh, you know just simply personal preferences. We're su- subject to algorithms. We're also subject to just stuff breaking. Yeah, and you know what the thing that made me think of this show is a few weeks ago on the This Week in History I talk about talked about a time two satellites had um collided in orbit and that got me thinking how many times has something happened to the physical connection of the internet you know mark you and i were both working in a small school district and a contractor was not working on the communications infrastructure he was digging a track and he just happened to cut this cable and all of a sudden you know we couldn't see half of our campus so um because you know it's not this huge two-foot cable that's you know um 
ran through steel conduit and six layers of concrete. It's this little thing, you know, about the size of a straw and about as flimsy has a piece of wet, wet, wet paper buried in the ground. And you don't even know you've cut it and, you know, or something happens like that and you've lost connection because somebody, your communications equipment is fine, but somewhere two hops away, their router goes down and you can't find it. You know, all of a sudden you can't reach that site because, you know, as robust as our system is, there's still lots of times where when one physical thing fails, the time it takes to reroute, you know, we end up getting lost uh, in the, uh, we get kind of get lost in the middle. I I can give you another uh, example of that same town, same rural city uh, where I worked for, for many years. Um, the telephone company was replacing outdated telephone poles. They were pulling poles up from the existing holes, putting them right down in the same holes. They didn't do a site survey. No reason to. They're pulling it up from the same from a hole and putting it out. There's zero chance they're going to do any damage to anything because they're pulling it out of a hole, putting it right back into the hole. Well, as it turned out, when they had drilled sometime later a fiber optic line, the fiber optic line that connected the city to the rest of the world, they they drilled through the bottom of a, of a, one of those poles. And so when they grabbed it by the, with the tractor and pulled it out, they ripped it from, you know, 50 feet in either direction and sheared that thing and, and pulled it in this whole city. Now, it's not a huge city, 1,500 people, but they were completely off the grid. No telephone, no cell service, because it took down the cell tower uh, that uh, serviced that area too. No internet, no nothing, no connection with the outside world uh, because of something as simple as a guy p- replacing a, f- a telephone pole. Uh, so the connection that we have to each other is quite fragile in, in many ways. Yeah. So, you know, and, but again, that's not something we talk about and, um, kind of moving that from one level, like from the physical up into the actual bits, um, Hanlon's razor, which is, you know, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. And we have, we've talked about this. It was about seven or eight years ago, if I remember correctly. Um, the border gateway protocol on a bunch of routers was configured incorrectly and all of a sudden china's uh, great uh, bamboo firewall infected half of the united states not maliciously um it just like you know the the routers weren't configured correctly and all of a sudden you know people in america can't get to anti-chinese stuff because you're being your access to the internet is based on policies coming out of communist china and you know and again they figured out oh we screwed up go back and fix it and everything worked out fine later but you know and that's there are malicious in it entities that are out there seeking to uh, cripple other people's communication access but just somebody you know and we've talked about it many times where we ourselves have done or companies deliver products where for testing purposes you know the username is blank and the password is admin and they forget to change it and they ship that product out or somebody is configuring a some web facing device and troubleshooting purposes, they crank it up full permissions and then something happens and they forget to change it back. And then all their stuff got pwned and all your base belongs to us. So that kind of stuff happens. And again, you don't have control over it. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But if my ISP does that or, you know, the place that stores my information does that, then all of a sudden I've done everything right but I don't have access to the stuff I paid to have access to. 
You'd there, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, examples of that domestically as well. Like when Cloudflare yeah. goes down, you know, the world stops. When DNS servers get messed up, um, yeah, I, I, there's been a number of instances of that over the last few years that we we have short memories on. You're right. I mean, it happens. Baltimore. I don't know. I mean, what could you do about it? That's the thing. Uh, um, ro- robustness is is a thing, but I mean, so for much, so much of what, what we do, we rely on somebody else. They, whoever they is, they are responsible for backing up our data. They are responsible for making sure we have uh, a redundant path to the internet. They are responsible for security. They are responsible for the the uh, internet background radiation that, that surrounds the world. And there's not a whole lot we can do, right? Well, no. I mean, you are right. There, But it's just something to be aware of, I, you know, and you can make contingency plans to, you know, do you only have one way to get to the internet? Is your information, you know, the classic axiom of backing up? If you don't have your data stored uh, in three separate places in two separate locations, then you don't have your data. So, you know, um, something like, and, you know, we talked about it before where um, cloud storage providers can go out of business and not give you any warning. And, you know, your wedding video was there and then your wife wants to watch your wedding video that night. And you have to say, honey, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, so if you store everything on the cloud, then what happens, you know, when the sun comes out and burns the clouds away? Miles, thoughts? I I keep everything I have and I care about within arm's reach of me. I don't trust putting things on other servers. I can't say that that's a perfect science. It's not. Uh, I'm not an island. But at the same time, I'm also not um, naive enough to think that other people have my best interests as their best interests. And, you know, as a result, I think that a little bit of caution and a little bit of trust and verify and a little bit of responsibility to your own stuff still has to be retained, even though there might be an easy way of putting something on Google Drive or Dropbox or whatever I still like to keep my stuff close to home. That's just me. And you've said the magic word. This show is not about um, solutions. It's about responsibility. Uh, But believe it or not, you have a responsibility in everything we've talked about um, to decide what information is right for you. You know, Miles says turn off the news, but you, you can't be uninformed about all things you have to find the information sources you have to vet those information sources you have to uh ensure that you're not being uh tailored out of the truth uh in your search results uh you have to uh, take responsibility in your own um you know uh sphere of the world for making sure that the things you can control are under control have you checked your you know batteries in your smoke alarm recently these that has nothing to do with the internet but it's it's a sphere of personal responsibility uh that we are as a society they are taking over responsibility we're just surrendering responsibility to they in so many different ways and as seth is pointing out here uh our connection to each other the things that we consider vital the things that we consider um, um absolutely imperative in our lives are very fragile and we trust they to fix it but we're not we're not doing the things that we can do 
personal responsibility is a real thing and you need to look around and say what can what are these things that i can do better what can i take an active role in where i'm being passive now how can i make sure that i have access to the people and the things that that i need access to yeah and this could be a whole series of shows and probably a little bit outside of our wheelhouse and what we do. But, um, you know, in most cases, if the power grid goes down, luckily in the United States, we have a pretty stable power grid and we're used to having, you know, if the power's out for an hour or two, we think, Oh my gosh, the humanity, we're all going to die. Um, but you know, so what are some ways that you can provide power in the event of whenever, you know, the car takes out the power poles and, or, you know, a couple of, uh, like a year ago, some tornadoes came through and just, you know, and it kind of tracked the path of the power line. And so it took places a month or more to get power back to them because you've got to clear the debris and go through and, you know, dig up all the shattered posts and replace them with new and then run new wire and all that kind of stuff. And in some cases, the actual power station was damaged and it had to be fixed. So some of the things that you can do to make so, and this is a thing in a lot of cases, all these things that, that I'm going to mention aren't necessarily enough to fully power your house, but you know, it could be something like if you have a bunch of computers set up, you have like one computer and one access point that you can quickly move to some alternative electricity. And so you don't get 100% electricity back, but that's kind of disaster planning. If you're someone who normally has, you know, a computer and six monitors, well, in the event of a disaster, you could get by off of a computer and one monitor for a short period of time. So you know, and the, if you want to, you can do research on how to do all this, but do a generator. You can like using kind of like something like a stationary bike where you're pedaling and that produces electricity through a generator. Um, and then, you know, and you can have batteries and get some power. Uh, solar power isn't the magical fix all one 10 foot by 10 foot solar section is not going to, um, provide electricity for your house and make you a millionaire send electricity back to the grid but it can power a couple of things wind power same way one little wind turbine you can't retire a millionaire the next day um if you're close to a stream, you might be able to have some type of hydropower, but maybe not. But those are different things you can do to have a disaster scenario that if nothing else, what can I get by without? Hey, I've been paying money to have this thing plugged in and I forgot, I forgot it was plugged in. So I can even cut money off my electric bill by disconnecting that. So just some, just some thoughts on, as Mark was saying, in the, in the final result, you are responsible for taking care of yourself. It's not the government's responsibility to make sure you get out of bed and brush your teeth and eat a balanced diet and get some activity in every day. That's your responsibility. So you have a responsibility as an adult to take responsibility for all areas of your life. And so maybe this will kind of get you thinking on how you can be responsible for your communications. And now, Seth, since it was a history uh, lesson that got you started on down this path, what happened this week in history? 
All right, Mark, and uh, I wanted to let you and everyone else in our audience know that on April the 5th, 1995, Satan was introduced to the interwebs. Um, Dan Farmer and what, I can't even pronounce that guy's name, Watis Venema, but I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his name. They released to the internet the Security Administrator Tool for Analyzing Networks, known by its acronym SATAN. SATAN is a network scanner for investigating the vulnerability of remote systems. Designed for use by network administrators, the program will will soon generate controversy over the ethics of freely releasing powerful security tools to the general public. And just so you know, there um, for those who were offended by the name SATAN, the software contained a special command called REPENT which rearranged the letters in the program's acronym from Satan to Santa. And that happened this week in history, Mark, all the way back in 1995. And now back to you. I don't even know how to follow that up. Um, uh, Port scanners are a thing and they should be used responsibly. There there was a, there was something I remember. Oh, wow. This is testing my memory. About that time, there was a law about tools like this being illegal and that this tool really challenged the law and as a result created an opportunity for people to release uh, tools on the internet uh, to do this sort of scanning and hacking tools and things like that um, without fearing a breach of a law regarding this. Um, yeah, okay. If somebody knows the complete history on that, please uh, fill me in on it. But I remember this was this had a legal uh, effect. As so you could say that technical. Santa has been giving gifts since it was invented. Certainly to the hacking community, yes. yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, also for the network administrator, I mean, one of the best ways to identify weak points in your security is through in-depth penetration testing. And this is one, I mean, there's lots of tools out there now, and this one hasn't been um, updated in a long time, and it was limited in what it could do. But it's a way to go and say, you know, you have the responsibility if you're leaving your house, you need to go and make sure all the doors were locked. Thinking you locked something six months ago, you know, maybe somebody came in and unlocked it. Maybe you forgot. I needed I needed to go out that door because I was working in the backyard and didn't want to walk around the house. You think, oh, that door's always locked. I never, you know, I never go out it. Well, you did that one time, and it's your responsibility to make sure it's closed and locked. All right. And now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity this week? That's making you seem like a better hiring option. Okay. This could really do it. And um, this is a song. I totally forgot about it last week, but this is a song. It's called Tom's Diner. It is by Suzanne Vega, but it is remixed by uh, the DNA Disciples into a dance tune. And um, anyway, it's just a, it's just, it's one of those guilty pleasures you don't necessarily know you like, but (laughs) it'll stick in your head. I, I would a YouTube play it. video and has sound. Yeah, I would play it, but YouTube would take down our video. Right. So, <laughs> uh, and you know, we make uh, no money at all. So, you know, I guess it doesn't matter at all. No, we're not going to go to YouTube and shoot the place up. No, that's I, yeah. that's an awful lot of driving. You know, it's just yeah. too far. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm surprised because doesn't uh, Southern California have really strict gun laws? Um, anyway, not going to go just, down that road. Not going to go there. Sorry. They hadn't put the sign out on that path yet, Mark. You know, they just, they didn't have enough signs. 
All right, uh, so this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. Go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA, fill out the form, and that sends an email to my inbox that gets priority there. You, I will read messages from you before I will read messages from my wife. That's the kind of priority you get in that. You can also uh, send an email to geekrant at elementop.com. That will go to all three of us, lest you think I am filtering your emails to the to the the gentleman uh, on either side of me here. Uh, and uh, or you can call five five nine I'm Opie. I'm going to stop even mentioning that because you're just not using it. So we don't have a phone number. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but we do appreciate your thoughts, um, good, bad, or indifferent. Let us know what you have to say. Um. Guys, any other words of wisdom before we say goodnight? Uh, that song, Tom's Diner, was instrumental in the birth of the MP3 algorithm. So um, just for all you geek lovers out there, we wouldn't have the MP3 algorithm. And, of course, some audio snob purists will say that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. But <laughs> um, the creator of that realized that if he could get that because she originally released it as just an acapella song if he could get that to sound good through mp3 then he knew mp3 was ready and so she's the grandmother of internet audio all right miles what what have you got to say to us uh i don't know i was gonna say she kicks the llama's ass now that's winning. That's, that's <laughs> oh, that's winning. right. Well, let's see, yeah. there you go. I thought somebody would get that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting bit of tidbit. When the Fraunhofer Institute came up with the MP3 algorithm, the one engineer looked at the other and said, this is great. Too bad there's not a computer in the world powerful enough to run it. And now, <laughs> you know, your watch, a postage stamp, um, <laughs> you know, greeting cards that you open up, play MP3s. So that just goes to show uh, how things have changed. Uh, so I guess I got nothing more to say, but uh, if you'd like to support us, the best way to do that is go to Patreon.com and uh, leave us a uh, a recurring um, donation, patronage. I don't even know what to call that there. But when I put out stuff, you pay for it. That's a good way to do it. There's also a tip jar on elementopi.com. Or uh, just go tell other people about the show. Uh, leave us a rating and a review. I've, I scour the web periodically to find them. Uh, I do see some out there on Stitcher's Radio, Last FM, some some players I've never heard of. People left reviews. Thank you for that. Please continue to do so. Uh, we've been doing this for eight years now, and still only a handful of people care. Uh, so it would be awesome if you could tell the world, uh, force them to listen to our show. It's only 50 minutes long these days, so you don't have the excuse of, your show's too long. Uh, so uh, that's all I have to say about that. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week. And remember... Pay for what you like.